All right, y'all. So today we have episode 15 of Bro Research Radio. We got Dr. Pat Davidson in the mix. And we're really excited because we've had we've had Ethan on, we've had Zach Couples on, and we've talked about kind of these ideas, these biomechanical ideas of of, of intermingling a lot of a lot of PT principles into the weight room. And I don't think there's a guy who's who's done this. Um, more intensely than you, Pat. And so um, we've been trying to get we've been trying to get this together for for a couple months, and it's it's really good. It's we're honored to have you. Um, and so the the big question that we've all that we've been kind of dabbling with with yourself, Justin Moore, Zach Couples, and, and other people is this idea of a counter mutated sacrum while squatting. Like, how important is that? What's what's your current cost benefit kind of analysis on that on that type of on that topic? Yeah, so I think that the big thing that gets missed is the difference between a posterior tilted pelvis and a counter nutated sacrum. So, you know, when whenever you load someone and they're going to squat, you'll automatically see an unconscious increase in overall lordosis of the spine. Like that's just sort of like the brain is going to problem solve this vertical sort of like you know, moving of the system up and down by creating more lordosis somehow, some way. And I'll, I'll, I'll even interject right there. Like, so yeah. the, I can oh, say I'm sorry, kyphosis, kyphosis. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, whoa, so, whoa, whoa. I was going to say, is it a reflexive? Like, are you referring to it? Are you, or you just got the, the terms mixed up there? Uh, yeah, kyphosis is what I meant to say. Okay, yeah, got it. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, kyphosis in terms of like vertical you know, ascent, descent, like you, you, especially going down, it's going to be like, you have to achieve some increase in kyphosis to accomplish that. Yep. And so to me, like I was trying to explain this at the seminar last weekend, when you see a good squat, it just looks perfect. And you look at the pelvis and it just doesn't move. It's just like, woof, it just drops. It doesn't change. You're like, wow, that that's beautiful. And for the most part, people don't really know why it looks beautiful. They just know like, Hey, that was an outstanding looking squat there. And, and the reason that you do not see movement is because there is subtle movement under the hood. And this is where like, essentially like I'm, I'm always talking about it from like the perspective of an innominate bone and a sacrum at the same time. And during the squat, the goal is to have the innominate go forward into mutation while the sacrum goes backwards into counter mutation. So as the person squatting, it's sort of like this is what's happening to allow it to look for the outside observer like nothing is happening. You're like you're so, not actually seeing that movement of the anomaly or the, the sacrum. Yeah, they check each other. Yeah. And if the sacrum is not counter-nutating, then you have to achieve this increase in kyphosis somewhere. So you're just simply going to go up the chain and you're going to create this butt wink or some kind of a posterior tilting moment, and you're probably going to be just driving it from the lumbar spine at like L5-S1 or L4-L5 or both at the same time. And so when you, when you see movement, it's because there's not unseen movement that's actually happening inside the system. And what, what is the, how does that start? Is that start from a place where uh you know the anominates are too too flexed or you're in too much of an anterior tilt or like where does that come from that that visual movement that you would be seeing potentially you know it could it could just it's probably uh somebody that just doesn't have the ability to to create variability 
in one way, shape or form. Like they're just a stuck person. And it's probably a situation of somebody could be stuck at the end of inhalation or they could be stuck at the end of exhalation in terms of the nominate and sacrum. And then they just can't get out of where they are, you know, like, uh, so it's, it's always just a question of like, why is it not moving? And, and really it's probably being driven from like a lack of respiratory variability because that respiratory variability, like the inhale should be flattening the diaphragm, pushing the guts down, causing the innominates to be able to nutate and abduct so that they can receive the fluid in the guts and causing the sacrum to, to counter nutate. Like to me, like the descent of the squat is like you have to descend your guts downward at the same time. And, you know, sometimes people just don't have the ability to get the, the pelvis to be able to open to accept the guts as they kind of move down into that zone. And when that happens, like they're trying to, like people are trying to manage this, like their guts and their viscera inside their thorax. And it's got to stay back in some way, shape or form. Like you can't just let it spill out forward. Uh, so that's probably why butt wink is happening, just so that you can manage it and keep it from falling forward. Uh, you know, because you need to go down is is the really the key here. And if you can't go any further down without creating more kyphosis somewhere else in the system, then then you're going to stop. But the brain will problem solve. It'll say, well, I'm being asked to get lower. I'll accomplish this by just creating the kyphotic uh, experience somewhere else. So I think, I think that's what we're seeing, but you know, it's, it's just like, it's, you know, I, I think it's going to happen more with your exhaled pelvis people. Um, but you can certainly, if somebody is stuck at end range inhalation, they can't counter mutate anymore. So now all of a sudden they got to go somewhere else to be able to create that, that motion to be able to get down. Mm -hmm. So when you're seeing someone uh, visually like counter mutate, in quotations, uh, before squat, you're just, that's just posterior tilt at that yeah, point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and now is there any benefit to doing that? Like, are you achieving what we're talking about by doing that? Or if you have to visually do that, are you already kind of fucked? So I think you're, yeah, I mean, look, like I'm not teaching people to do that under load. I think that's a terrible idea. Uh, I don't know anybody that's strong that would do that. It just, it's like, who the hell has ever done that in the history of like lifting weights and being strong? No one ever. So, um, you know, I, I would just say that like some exercises are core exercises and some exercises fit into different patterns. And, uh, you know, I have pelvis core, core exercises and thorax core exercises in the patterns that I work with. And then, you know, for squatting, it lives in knee dominant exercises. And, and I'm always trying to tell people, like, divide and conquer. Like, when you're doing your core exercises, make them slow, controlled, position-oriented in terms of your ownership, and, um, and find and feel. When you're trying to do your fitness patterns, like knee-dominant exercises, you need to have motor competencies. Like, it should look right. But I don't want you going out of your way to try to sacrifice output for – you know, a sensory experience. Like it's not time, it's not the time or the place for a sensory experience other than I feel good. I feel strong. I feel like I'm going to crush this today. Uh, I feel unstoppable. Like those are the things that I want people to feel. I don't want them to like, you know, be trying to change the position of their pelvis overall. Like, no, just, just get tight and squat. Like, 
And if you can't do it right, then I'll just change you externally in terms of like what equipment I use or how I position you, maybe put something under your heels or whatever the hell. Just so like the more I can just create, like I, again, like I just use references and constraints in my model to put you in a position where you can't do it wrong. And if you get good enough at repeating the repetitions, I try to take away the references and constraints as much as I need to, just depending upon your goals. And if it still looks good, and after the fact, I ask you, how'd that feel? And you're like, man, I felt good. Like, I don't, again, it's, it sort of depends on the goals. Like, if you're a bodybuilder, you say, I just got a sick quad pump, and my glutes feel like they're going to pop out the back of my pants. Okay, perfect. Like, what else are we going for? Or, you know, if you are, like, uh, you know, an athlete that's looking for track performance or something like that, and you say, man, I, I just felt like I could have driven that through the roof. You know, that's that's the sort of feedback that I want. So, I, you know, I don't know if that exactly answers what we're going for here. But I, it, I think it does. It clarifies things for me. You know, it's it's kind of like if you have to go – what I'm hearing you say is like if you if you have to do this uh, visual representation of, of uh, this, you know, neutral whatever bullshit that doesn't exist, you're probably just – you probably just picked the wrong exercise. And yeah. there's probably a better option for you somewhere else. And, and I think that gets into the conversation that Ben and I talked about, especially with something like hypertrophy, where it's like, man, like, do we even squat if we, if we have to go through all this trouble to, uh, to present something that doesn't look like complete shit? And like, maybe we should just like press. Um, is that, what, what do you think about all that, Ben? My, my big question is like, so when we see this quote unquote perfect, perfect squat in like the, in the normal fitness community, like you see, usually it's Asian lifters um, and they have, you know, they have that perfect upright torso with a back squat. Like how are they, how are they getting that done? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I think partly it's just anthropometrics. So when you look at people that have like very long torsos relative to short arms and legs, like me, for instance, like I don't have great motion capabilities, but I can squat and stay pretty vertical because I'm five foot six and I have a five foot three wingspan. You know what I mean? Like my tibias are 16 inches long, um, you know, versus like, you know, we've got some, some really athletic black people at Hype and when they squat, it looks like a big hinge. And when you kind of look at their anthropometrics, they've got really tiny torsos and their arms and legs are super long. And, you know, it's just like the more I look at people that have kind of like basketball bodies, the more you see them tend not to remain upright in, in the way that they squat. It's like, you know, we can create that with them with you know, wedges and transformer bars and all kinds of stuff that gives them reference and, you know, biomechanical advantages to be able to try to stay upright. But even in the same confines, I still see them more angled forward at the thorax um, but then it's like, you know, uh, it just needs to be good enough ultimately. And like, what is the answer for like, what is good enough? You know, are, are we moving you progressively numerically towards your goals and are you avoiding pain? And if we can kind of check those boxes off, then it's good enough. I'm going to show you, I'm going to share my screen real quick. Cause the, this is super interesting to me and in that one of the big plays for this, this counter mutated pelvis is that like, oh, we need to train this because we need to move vertically on a vertical jump. But this dude jumped 50 inches. That, yeah. looks like a, that looks like a fucking hinge to me. Yep. 
And I think uh, every time I look at vertical jumps, they look like they look like Olympic lifts mm-hmm. in the hang. You know, like that. That's that's where we're putting people. We're putting them in the hang, but it's probably like a below the knee hang and a triple extension. So, that, like, if you're not training that, like, you're you're not you're not getting it. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I don't understand this notion that like the hinge is the you know associated with the start and track or that the squat is associated with jumping vertically. It's just, they're two different things. One of them is squatting, another one of them is deadlifting, another one of them is jumping, and another one of them is sprinting. They're just different things. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's interesting to see like the, the, research, the research on partial squatting for vertical jump versus full range of motion squatting. Yeah. It, makes, it makes a lot more sense to me from, if you're training for a vertical jump to have like a low bar partial squat because if you're really loading up the mechanics of, that, of the vertical jump more so than like a full range of motion squat. Yeah, or I think it's population specific though. Like I think beginners benefited more from the deep squat and then, you know, once they got advanced, it was kind of like that, the more specific to the Both of them. The jump. Yeah. Like, I, I wonder, my, my question is, like, kind of to play devil advocate here, is, is that just because they've gotten really good at compensating in that pattern? Like, you know, like that guy uh, can't do this, like, squat squat that we're talking about, this straight up and down squat. So he just got strong as shit just doing that, that hinge kind of pattern. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just think that it's, it's one of those things where I just see a lot of humans squatting on a daily basis of different ethnic backgrounds because it's New York. And, and you can see that there's just like more prominent anthropometric types for different, different ethnicities. And, and it's just like when you see like this, the proportion skewed towards like very short torso, very long arms and legs, you, you just see like it just tends to be more of a, a forward lean in the thorax, you know, when you say nothing. And you can coach it to a certain degree to be more vertical, but there just seems to be a tendency for that shape to want to go in that direction to be able to create the most vertical propulsion. And at that point, are you, are you worried about that at all from a safety perspective? Well, you know, it really – no, not from a safety perspective. Uh, it really just comes down to, like, what am I trying to train on this person? Like, because now they're just deadlifting twice. Like, they deadlift their deadlift, and then they deadlift their squat, and it's like, let's try to make their squat as squatty as possible, and then we're probably going to, you know, hypertrophy some quads. And, you know, on the other side, let's make your deadlift as deadlifty as possible, and we'll probably get some hamstrings and glutes. Mm-hmm. Not that we're not getting glutes on – squats too but that's, i just want to be able to make the exercises different that's a big that's a big thing um that i don't know that we have that's i'm really really curious to see like if you can make that hingy person squat more squatty can you actually get the quads to be a limiter and my my hunch is like given the research that we have right now probably not it's probably going to be mostly adductors and glutes yeah. and, and 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 you might be able to get more and, and I think we really need to take into account the literature that's like, we have a, there's literally a paper that says that muscle activation was the same for the deadlift, the low bar back squat and the front squat. Like, I don't like, that's fucking bonkers to me. Yeah. That, and so I, w- I want to see like, how are these people doing it? But I think that's, that's part of the, like, how do we move? And it wouldn't be that hard to, to kind of get this acute data. And like, and that's a pretty cool thing. Cause if you can make someone squat more squatty and you can, you can maybe 
because in in the best place to look at this is actually in untrained people because you can see like what's going to hypertrophy and it's normally the glutes and the adductors and you then you'll get like a five percent you'll get like 15 percent growth in in the adductors and then 15 percent growth in the glutes and then you'll get like five percent growth in the, in the quads and like one or two in the hamstrings and so that's probably our best indicator of what's going on i think longitudinally and yeah. so it'd be it'd be really interesting to set this up in in newbie people and like get them to squat that way and could you move this to more of a quad dominant type exercise yeah you know it's 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 such an interesting thing and i'm, I'm just sort of playing around right now i've got uh a couple of girls that are very strong very motivated and and they both they their natural tendency is to hinge their squat and we've kind of reworked them and sort of brought them back to like baseline started them really light put them on a, a wedge and use the transformer bar and, and it keeps them pretty damn vertical you know what i mean and it's it's like number one like the range of motion is tremendously different and now they're squatting with so much more vertical activity so i just i, I don't i don't have the the paper their authors in mind but i'm pretty sure i've seen stuff that just shows like when you squat with lighter weights and go through full range of motion there tends to be a greater hypertrophy response mm-hmm. um and the other thing – oh, the other thing that just sort of jumps out at me is I wonder about the sensitivity of some of the EMG. I wonder if it just is, like, maxed out, and it's kind of like, hey, it's all, it's all the same EMG response. And it's kind of like, well, I think that the, they're deadlifting, they're squatting, they're doing all these other things. It's probably just capped out at a certain point. Like, maybe it, it can't even read higher than what we're getting. So it looks like, hey, the quads are maxed out on the deadlift. But I, I just – it's hard to imagine – that you're getting as much quad on deadlift as you are on fucking squats. Well, I just don't think they're getting quads, period. And and so that's why, like – Okay, yeah, okay, I get what you're saying. I just don't yeah, think they're yeah. getting quads at all. Yeah. And, and that's that's my thing is, like, I it, we can argue about the utility of EMG in motion until uh, the fucking cows come home. Yeah. Like, this, this seems to be, if we really want to put this question to bed, the best place it is to look in untrained lifters – for maybe not even that long of a period of time. It's not that hard of a study to run. And then you're actually looking at muscle hypertrophy. Like it, you could do MRIs, you could do ultrasounds of muscles, and yeah. then you're actually going to get at what you want to get at instead of like a proxy measure of that we're all arguing about. But now we got to assume that we have researchers that actually understand how to get a squat to be squatty. That's well, that's, that's, where, but that's, where, that's where I think, why, does it, why can't it be you? Like why can't, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, why do we just defer this to other people? Like this isn't a very hard study to run. Like we, I have all the, we have all the equipment to run this study yeah. um, and it doesn't need a large sample size. And, and it would be like, if you debated, I always think like I could, in my mind, I might be able to set this up. Like if you debated grade nickels on the squatting right, right now, like seriously, like you would, you would do fucking, you would biomechanically, like you would, wreck shot but then he would come in with the literature that it currently stands and then everybody in everybody in that room would be like this guy doesn't know because you're talking theory hypotheses and this guy's this guy's gonna come in with shit that is peer-reviewed and and i'm not and and the thing is like i that's your that's essentially what you love to do is you love to come up with theories and hypotheses and then other people need to test those theories and hypotheses and I think that this, this theory is not that hard to test. And if we really want to move it forward in the fitness industry and like, hey, look at 
this fucking study, dude. Like these other studies don't necessarily make sense because they're not testing the thing that you want them to test. Mm. You know, yeah, I mean, you'd really have to make sure you had imaging on your side. Uh, just, and I mean that from like a, like even dartfish, you know, and it, just so that you can actually have some angles that you monitor. Uh, it shouldn't be that hard. Like I've just watched these, these hingy squatters and it's like, they, they, they never even come close to a deep squat. You know what I mean? It's just like, it just keeps going back, back, back. And then it kind of goes forward. So it, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's just, uh, I don't know. I agree. Like there is no evidence that we can draw on to make like really smart statements that are supported at this point in time other than you know like it it is anecdotal it is sort of like uh hey if you squat and you remain in a real squat the whole time and you do a miserable set it feels like your quads are going to explode out of your skin after and it doesn't feel like that when you deadlift to the point where you feel like you're gonna die that feels like your hamstrings and your glutes and your spinal erectors are going to like turn into battery acid and wash down the back of your heels so you know it's it's just kind of like eh, i don't know and then you're you're going into this land of like does the pump and the burn equal you know the responses that we're looking for yeah yeah the i think there is some data to back back this up in in terms of like if you were going to write the introduction in the method section there's there's a paper on safety bar squats and their torso angle was more upright and so then they had a less of an, the EMG results were less than stellar because they were untrained in the safety yeah. squat bar. They got like and, a low trap or something. <laughs> yeah, they got, but they just didn't, they just didn't know how to do yeah, the exercise. And, yeah. and so it was, but they, the joint, the joint stuff did change. And so they were able to keep a different torso angle. Yeah. And so that, that to me is like, all right, so we have, we have, and, and they probably haven't seen any of this stuff. So it's like, what happens when you put people like legitimately like test, set it up because this is a new thing. So you set it up in favor of the thing like that. If you're going to, why would you not like, yes, there's confirmation bias, but we got to start somewhere. So you set it up with a like a nasty low bar squat, hingy low bar squat compared to a fucking transformer bar with a heel lift and yeah. see what happens. Yeah. And, and and Noraxon stuff, like none of this, none of this is that expensive. Like the mile motion lab, like you can get all the dart fish, you can get all those joint stuffs. And and even just putting it out and, and having a contrarian viewpoint, I think would be would be stellar. Um, the thing that would then, be difficult, I feel like with that is now like how do you adjust for load? Um, because now you're gonna be able to That's why you gotta do that's why you gotta use untrained participants that have that are that are novices. Because you they've never seen this shit before. And then, then you just you give them a new thing, and then you see what that new thing does. If you take any of us and you you try to do it, it's we're gonna be it's gonna be tougher because we're gonna we already have biases, and we're gonna we're gonna, that's so that's why I think in normally we're after trained populations, but I think in this in this study design you'd probably be after an untrained population because they're yeah. they're a blank I, slate. You need to have a very specific population too. Like we were talking about the anth- anthropometric stuff, you know, like. You know, how do you set that up? I mean, it's, it's, I, I, like, I agree, man. Like, I think that we got to get some amount of, of research on it. And I don't know that it needs to be perfect right off the bat, but there are a lot of factors, you know, like if you throw that, that, you know, seven foot tall basketball player into the, into the squatty squad group, um, like he's just going to suck, you know, like, like, you know, it might, or maybe not though. I, I don't know. But you can set that up in inclusion criteria. Like you can, yeah, yeah. you can set that up. Like everybody has to have this femur length and be in between this height. Like mm-hmm. all that, all that stuff is, all that stuff is 100% doable. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to, I'd, I'd love to see somebody pick that up. 
and then just get so just call somebody in to coach them, you know, and like just uh, have people in there doing it. It's to me like that. It's not like I'm I'm invested in this. I think it's an interesting idea. Like, and then and then because then you have a new thing, and then because all right now everyone like these are the same things. We can use them interchangeably, and that's kind of the yeah. problem. And because that's that's what Pat's saying is like no 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 these are fucking different things. Like we need to separate these things. We need and the, and we don't really know in the research what squatting like a squat does. Like what where what does that thing do? Um, does it help you move more vertically? Where is it gonna wh- Where is it gonna help? And and that's kind of uh, that's what that's what would be really cool because then we would kind of be able to separate these things. It's not the same. It's really interesting the way Ryan you said that it showed that the low trap was the most heavily recruited muscle. In the- I think that was the biggest difference. Yeah, with the, the, the different squats. Yeah. So, yeah, like the la- like we we playing around with different settings on the transformer bar, and we found the nastiest one so far is the two and a half setting. And um, as soon as I used that, I've never felt a squat feel the way that this thing felt. And I looked at the video, and it's the first time my pelvis has never, you know, butt winked under horribly. And, um, you know, literally the first time that I, the, the first set that I did that was hard, the thing that failed on me was my low trap. Low trap, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and like, I just remember, I was like out of breath. I felt weird. And like, I just felt like I couldn't like support <laughs> it anymore. I got done. Anyways, the next day I woke up and it felt like somebody had like jabbed me in the middle of the back on both sides, like fireplace pokers. And um, I was so sore in my low trap. It's like, I just have never felt that in my life. And it was just such an odd sensation. But um, it, it ever since then, it's been fine. And I've learned to adjust to the exercise. Yeah. But even, you know, being trained, like it was, a, it was literally a new movement. And, and now it's like, the amount of quad and glute is just like, it's very, it's just different. Like it's, it's pretty wild, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a difficult transition to be able to get that into method sections and understood. And this merger between biomechanics nerds and physiology nerds, it's, it's always one of these ones that's kind of a tough play because they're always feeling like, Oh, you're not getting my point, but you know, like we need to just get them together in the same study, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I might be willing to do it at some point. I don't have time now to, to run a study on top of the. We hit question number one, so let's. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Good. Let's yeah. let's uh, let's let's jump into the, the kind of this. The, my second question is, is let's let's go to the RDL. Let's let's play the opposite of that. And yeah. so, what what. What the hell are people like? Because this thing seems to get coached up. Like you want massive extension, you want to stretch the shit out of your hamstrings. And so, wh- what do you want people to feel? And what's your kind of a what? What are you looking for in a hinge pattern? Well, what I'm looking for is I want the hips to go backwards and then forwards. That's the biggest thing. And uh, what I don't want to see is like the flamingo yard thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like that bird in the, in the garden that sort of like tips forward and back like that. And, and I see that a lot of times where people that don't move their hips backwards and forwards in space, it's like their body just sort of like eh, 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 like that. And, and that's, that's definitely not what we're looking for here. So to me, that's always the biggest thing is are your hips going backwards and are they going forwards? And most of the time you just don't, the people that struggle at it, their pelvis just isn't going backwards in space. So I just described like a squat is like a pelvis that's able to go up and down in an elevator shaft and a a hinge 
is a pelvis that goes back and forward like a lawnmower. And, and most people are like, oh, okay, I kind of understand what you're saying there. And uh, I, I essentially want to see like the, you know, the shape of the back not really change. Um, and when you see the shape of the back change, I think it's the, a similar thing, but just in reverse to what we were talking about with the pelvis with the squat. So, you know, with the pelvis and the squat, it's like I need to have this, this checkpoint of the innominate bone doing that and the sacrum doing that. In the deadlift, I need to have the opposite where the sacrum nutates and the innominate counter nutates. And if that happens, I cannot see it with my eyes from the outside, but it looks like the pelvis basically stays the same and it goes forward and it goes back. And I don't see this spine sort of changing shape above that. Mm-hmm. And you know, like the big thing that we're, we're seeing that we get afraid of is a spine that changes shape in the middle of the exercise. And, and I don't blame people for getting worried about that. I think that ultimately it's kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm saying that there's a sacrum that's not able to move whatsoever. And if this thing can't move and this stuff up here has to move, that's not a good deal. And it's probably creating a lot of shear forces and, and other things that are non-desirable at those seg- segments that probably are meant to stay relatively still for those kinds of activities. Mm. Um, you know, so once the once but, the pelvis once the pelvis gets back, then you you essentially don't want to see the you're not after more lumbar flexion, right? Once no. the pelvis once the pelvis is is demonstrated and 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 range of motion backwards, the lift is done for you, right? In terms of the the prep, yeah, okay. yeah. Now it's time to to make the weight go up and have the pelvis go forward. But does that change at all with the implement? Because I'm thinking of like with the straight bar, like at some point, like if you keep pushing your hips back, like your shoulders end up behind the bar and it just creates like, I I can't explain it very well in like a biomechanics standpoint, but it just seems that the the load shifts upward into your back as opposed to the hamstrings. And I'm sure that there's something to do with levers and it has to do, I'm sure with anthropometrics as well. But I find that like, if I'm cueing to push too far back with a straight bar in particular, it just doesn't really work. But with like something like a trap bar, it's, you can move your hands back slightly. So now you can shift that load back and like allow the load to come back with you. Does that, does that make sense at all? You know what I'm saying? Like, so my, like, does it change at all? Like that, what you're looking for with the, with the implement? I'd have to see it, but I've never had a problem with people having their hips too far back with a straight bar. You know, to me, like it's always been about trying to deadlift the most possible weight. And if you just look at like the mechanical advantages that you have, like the, the rotating axis is going to be the hip joint. And I want to get that rotating axis as far away from the load as I possibly can from a horizontal standpoint to increase the, the, the lever arm. And now I'm going to have a, a greater advantage over that thing. And generally speaking, when I keep the hips high and get them really, like if I keep the hips high, they're able to get farther back. You know, mm-hmm. if the hips are too low, it causes knee bend, and knee bend is probably going to make the shins go forward, and that's going to pull the pelvis forward closer to the bar. Mm-hmm. You know, so so that's what I always have in my head is I'm just I'm just simply looking at this from like you know the standpoint of of like a, a torque drawing, and I'm going to try to make this this muscular moment arm have the longest possible arm it can have away from the the load itself, which is only going to move, generally speaking, up and down. It'll have a slight curve to it uh, if I analyze the deadlift stroke. But but that's 
generally what I'm after. You know what I mean? Coming at it particularly from like a competitive strength athlete standpoint. Um, and, and that's ju- usually why you're going to have your taller guys able to deadlift more weight. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. the length of the lever is going to be able to get farther back away from the implement. So uh, if we're talking about hypertrophy, I think a lot of times what I hear, uh, in, like, you know, I, I, I just over here, Ethan talking about like his training strategies. And he's usually trying to put muscles into like a concentric dominant position and an eccentric dominant position. Like if you're training biceps, the concentric dominant curl would be a preacher curl and the eccentric dominant curl would be like a spider curl. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're talking about doing that so that you can kind of maximize the, the tissue from those, from those two big perspectives that the tissue can exist in, then you might be able to make a case for this big arched out RDL because it is going to lengthen the hamstring to the greatest degree that it possibly can if the pelvis is like massively anterior tilted. And, um, and you would be creating a significant amount of tension in this incredibly eccentric oriented muscle at that point in time. So that, that, that does make a degree of sense to me. I don't know if this concept holds water from the standpoint of actually driving an, an in improvement in aesthetics or hypertrophy or, or any other thing that we could actually quantitatively measure. But it is an idea that I think is interesting. So, um, you know, it's, it's also like, what are the practices that a lot of people use that are elite in these areas? And, and I think that when you look at a lot of bodybuilders and their strategies for training an RDL, you see this a lot. So, you know, it, it's clearly something that, that probably won't result in like massive acute injury, particularly if training load is managed. I think that it probably will lead to people being a little bit more locked up and like, I look at it almost like smoking. Like people are like, ah, there's no evidence to say that, you know, uh, training and this sort of impingement strategy at end range is going to cause any sorts of injuries. And I'm like, well, do it long enough, you know, um, and don't do anything else and see how you feel after a certain amount of time. And like, same thing for smoking. Like, oh, you've been smoking for three years. It's probably highly unlikely that you've developed any measurable disease or problems that we could say are like significantly different than the rest of the the population but you know just do it long enough and see what happens um so that's that's sort of where i'm at on that that's kind of the problem because like especially with bodybuilding is your your risk of injury is so fucking low like you're talking i did the math before this and if you train five hours a week you if you look at the literature that we do have you might get injured once in 20 years mm. now you now you compare that to running and you do you run for five hours a week you're likely to get injured 13 times in five years so just the the risk involved in bodybuilding is inherently low. So I, I don't like that's where the the risk the injury risk mitigation here is like that's a tough sell yeah. because that's a tough sell because these you you I mean you're talking like if, even if you decrease that by by half like you get injured once in forty years like that doesn't matter yeah. like because you you got to fucking win <laughs> like inside yeah. so that that to me it, it's a uh, it's, it's refreshing to hear you say that because I, when, even when you said that, I was like, oh, so that means like a hamstring curl on a machine is the same as a preacher curl. And then this other thing is a different thing. Yes. And if we, really, we want to really drive hamstring hypertrophy, and if you look at the mechanisms for hypertrophy, we probably want to do both of those things. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and then if we do those things, you're going to have compensatory patterns because 
you're a fucking meat monkey and this, something's going to happen because you got way too much muscle on your frame that it's not supposed to be there. 100%. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I, I think that so many people like, like I got into training from an athletics development standpoint, you know what I mean? And, and with athletics, you got to think like if I'm working with a baseball player, like I've got a pitcher and it's a right-handed pitcher. They always fall off the mound too far to the first base side after their pitches. They're losing command. They're missing, you know, up and away inside on right-handed pick on right-handed batters. And they're not fielding their position effectively after. And this guy has strain on their, their medial elbow. And it's sort of like, well, let's take a look at his mechanics and let's see why this is the case. And it's like, oh, guess what? He can't get into his left hip. And, you know, it's like these typical things. Like, we're going to measure this guy. He's lacking, you know, femoral internal rotation. And if we can restore that, and then the guy can train his mechanics following that and learn how to be able to get into his hip, follow through, and be straight on at the plate, like, maybe we improve this guy's command, and maybe he can field his position after, and maybe we reduce the amount of strain on his medial elbow. And, and those are real things for that population. Whereas with bodybuilding, like you said, and because look at the injury rates between throwing a ball versus lifting pretty heavy weights a whole bunch of times. It's not even fucking close. Like, you throw a ball, you're going to get way more jacked up than if you lift weights. And, um, you know, it's, it's, so it's sort of like there's this bleed over that people – don't appreciate and it's sort of because it's like oh I know this thing from this world and I'm going to apply it across the board to all other worlds and uh, you know I'm always reminded by like kind of like the tale of Socrates going to see the uh, the Oracle of Delphi and when he visits the Oracle uh, the Oracle tells him that he's the wisest man in Athens and he's like no, no friggin way like I'm, I'm not that smart I'm gonna prove you wrong so he goes around and he meets with all of the different intelligent people in Athens and he has a conversation with them. He's super impressed by how knowledgeable they are in their various areas of expertise. And then, you know, he, he comes around again for a second visit and he talks to them about other areas of knowledge. And what he finds is that these people assume that they know a ton of stuff about a bunch of other things that they actually have no knowledgeable knowledge about, but you know, they, they are unable to actually differentiate what they know versus what they don't know. And they talk about everything as if they're an expert about it. And he realizes that the Oracle was right because he actually recognizes the moments in life where he's wrong and doesn't try to talk about those things as if he understands what's going on. And, and like, I remember hearing that, that tale and sort of being like, wow, I really do see this all the time. I'm super guilty of this. Everybody's really guilty of this stuff. And I really have to take a step back and, like take a moment when I'm presented with a topic and ask myself, do I actually know anything about this specific topic or not? And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's surprising to me how frequently I, I know absolutely nothing about a topic, but how ready I was to talk about the topic as if I did. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I do know stuff about like throwing, throwing baseballs and looking at like the mechanics of striking things. And I do know about lifting weights. So I'm like, ah, I think I'm okay within these two realms to actually talk about it and also talk about where I've seen a lot of other people maybe miss the boat in terms of the differences between these kinds of activities and what you need uh, mechanically to be successful with these things. And just look at the populations that lift weights. Like look at bodybuilders. They are not, they're terrible on a table. The worst. 
and they're doing just fine for the activities that they've chosen to do. So it's kind of like, just because it's super important for a soccer player who needs to be able to change direction, doesn't mean it has anything to do with this dude that's trying to get yoked. Other than maybe they can train like frontal plane fibers that they haven't developed maximally. And maybe those things can grow a little bit more than we thought they could because we had no idea what being in the frontal plane actually was. Yeah. Well, I think we got it. This kind of segues into the next question is we got in a lot of trouble in the early nineties, like the late nineties, early two thousands about like, like bodybuilding was going to help every sport. Yeah. And like, you just got to no, like probably not like these 100% not. And then you look at like all the research that's come out in the last 30 years. It's like, yeah, these people need to train completely different. Like this is, these are not the same thing. Um, and, and there's going to be, there's always going to be comp compensations for the things that you do. And I think if, if you are training athletes, like, yeah, if you're training high school football players, you could get their lats and their biceps bigger, but it's, that's not going to, the only reason it's going to help them be better is because they're going to have more confidence on the field probably. Yeah. Uh, and so the, we both grew, you grew up in a little bit earlier era than me, but similar eras and, and Arnold and all of us and, Ryan a little bit after me, but we all fell in love with the weights at, at yeah. relatively relatively similar times. Um, and so, would you even use the barbell if you were like if you just walked into hype right now at eighteen years old? Would you even use the barbell as an implement to load people? Yeah, because I still think that like uh, you know it's it's a question of like um, a degree of hypertrophy is probably good for everybody. And if you don't have enough, you're, you're probably missing out on a lot. And, and I think that in, in a lot of ways, like, I think that, yeah, you're right that like bodybuilding style training probably isn't the perfect recipe. It's it, like, if all you do is bodybuilding style training, that's a bad approach to developing athletes that play traditional sports. But if you don't include that at some point, then they haven't, encourage just general skeletal muscle development, which I think is really important. And it's kind of like, look like- And they got to pass a look test. Like I've coached high school athletes. Like the coaches, the, if you look jacked, you're going to get playing time. So like yeah. th this isn't like, yes, we can think about this all this stuff logistically, but if you want to get on the field, like if you're playing football, it's probably better to be like every dad wants their kid to get bigger. Yeah. No, I can actually, uh, provide some some insight about how that's not true if you'd like <laughs> moving forward yeah but you run like a fucking duck. i haven't been paid for anything then <laughs> yeah, but they, yeah but they see you fucking walk on the court and they're like this guy this guy's gonna be fucking terrible yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you take one shot and you've missed the backboard they're like Ooh. but then you're like okay your son now has to wrestle me yeah, then you're gonna. I mean, you'd be really good at boxing people out. Like, you'd be annoying as fuck. Yeah, that's true. I no, I do. I'm pretty fast too. And uh, and yeah, I'm pretty good at boxing people out in baseball for sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, I just think um, you know, the basics and having a sagittal plane foundation is really good. But just don't don't ride that wave for too long because then you end up like you turn into me, and and now you're a refrigerator with like uh, a baseball bat tapped to, taped to the door and like the fourth swing was like, uh, uh, that's not right, man. So, Which might not be that bad for a fullback. Like if no, you think about, yeah. 
so these are all like positionally like yeah it might not be bad for that guy but it's probably you know, I, so there's probably I, a lot of depreciating returns for per position i fell for a pretty simple story in the um in the in the early to mid 90s when i was you know like i was in little league in 91 92 and you know going through like like pony league high school that that type of deal through the the mid to late 90s and and just think about who the dudes were that were the the biggest studs in baseball at that time. You know, like I would be home in the summer. Like I would go to like baseball camp in the morning. We had a great thing, Cape Cod. We had the Cape Cod Baseball League. And the, the guys that played on your town's team would teach a baseball clinic. And uh, as a kid, like I would go at like, I don't know, ride my bike there at like seven in the morning and play baseball for like three hours and get coached by like 19 year olds who were, like, we looked at these guys like they were gods. They were like D1 baseball studs. And these guys were jacked. And uh, and then, like, you go home and you watch SportsCenter and you see, like, you know, McGuire and Canseco just dropping bombs. And then after SportsCenter got done at that time, these fitness shows would come on on ESPN. And it was, like, bodybuilding. And you'd have Big Rick and Dr. Pete just like crushing Smith machine squats with fanny packs and two bad things. And like, it was like very clear, simple story for me to follow. Like, if you want to be a stud, okay, you gotta like act like these dudes. And then you gotta look like these dudes on SportsCenter. And these guys that come on after SportsCenter are jacked too. So just do what they do. And that's all I did. Like in high school, I just like, I just crushed bodybuilding style workouts because I would watch this stuff every day. And half of the reason I was watching it was because Kiana was also on body shaping and she was smoked. And then there was like the other, like the aerobic shows. I learned a good chunk <laughs> of exercise and training and like basic nutrition advice as an early teenager, adolescent by staying on board for the females that like were on these shows but like subconsciously hearing this stuff over and over from these bodybuilder dudes who were, you know, just doing basic bodybuilding training. And, and I connected it with trying to get better at baseball. Um, so it's, it really is interesting, but that was literally my entry into all of this stuff was, was through that as a medium. Um, so, but I did that and it, it helped me early on. Like I can think like, you know, I started lifting when I was in what seventh or eighth grade or something like that. And all of a sudden, I was crushing baseballs and throwing absolute rockets. And then, like, you know, it was a substantial, like, improvement. But then all of a sudden, it was, like, diminishing and then probably going backwards. Mm -hmm. And I just kept working harder and harder and harder. And it just, you know, it just wasn't working. And it's, you know, but at the same time, it's like, I'm glad I went through that process. Um, I'm super grateful. Every, every, you know, it's like that terrible question, if you could go back in time and change it, like, Oh God, like I would never be me. Like I'm so, I'm grateful to be me. Why would I change anything about it? So, um, but no, I just, you know, part of this process has always been trying to like undo these things and like restore some level of athleticism. I like to compete in things that require athleticism. And, um, you know, I know, I, I knew that like college wise, like I couldn't get into certain positions on like the follow through of a swing or like the follow through of trying to throw a ball and these coaches didn't have any clue. So they'd just like fucking jam your leg into a position. I'm like, dude, I think you just literally tore everything on my knee. Try harder. To keep my front side in on this follow through. Yeah. 
uh, I don't know why my front foot is spinning out. Like, I have no idea. But, you know, so it was, it was just really interesting. We'll tape it. Tape it down. Tape yeah. it down. Tape it down. They had tape that. <laughs> put, a, yeah. put a wall over there. Get <laughs> <laughs> a fucking seven. <laughs> so it's like you have these these things that are almost like prerequisites for getting into specificity. It kind of sounds like like you need to have like some level of generalized fitness before you get yeah. into your specific training. So like one question I had is like, do you? do you have that process with your clients as well in New York city? Cause they might not have very specific goals. Like, so at what point do you start to get into more nuanced things or, or do they just keep a more generalized training program? That's a great question, man. So I, this is one that I've been spinning around in my head quite a bit, actually, even before I saw that written down and um, you know, most of their goals are aesthetic. And yeah. so it's kind of like, well, what would you do if you were training someone for aesthetics? You train them like a bodybuilder and it's kind of like, most people can handle training like a bodybuilder and it also gives you more options from the perspective of training clients because it's like you don't need to be married to a tool i'm not training this guy like a power lifter like i've got this one dude it's kind of like you know again his his goals are aesthetic based and um he doesn't he doesn't look like much you know what i mean but i'm gonna try to help him look the best he possibly can so i feel like we need to have a some kind of a hinge motion in there some kind of a squat motion in there and, and even with like trying to go with like kettlebell deadlifts and stuff like that, even that was like bothering his back, you know? And it's always like, I'm listening to this guy's wife and he's got like family stress, job stress, blah, 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 stress. But at the same time, it was like mechanically would do the exercise and like, he'd be like, yeah, that it just doesn't feel good. It hurts. So I'm like, I got to come up with something for this dude. So, you know, it, it kind of led me to like, um, now I get this guy doing uh, good mornings on the squat machine mm -hmm. and like I tried it with him. He's like, wow, I've never felt my hamstrings work that much. I was like, what about your back? He's like, I didn't feel my back at all. So I was like, there's your deadlift. Mm -hmm. That's your deadlift. And, um, and same thing for, for like squatting where it would be like, it just, it looked really good actually, but he'd always be like, yeah, my knees, it's just kind of like a little bit achy. So the only thing that we do now is, is I put him in the squat machine and I put a block behind his back foot and we split squat. And I remember after we did that the first time, like he looks at me like, dude, that was the most fucked up drill I've ever done in my life. I hate you for that. But like, he's like, yeah, that one bothered my knee. And I was like, really? Like that, like that's my recipe for no knee pain. And I go, where in your knee? And he just points to the middle of his quad. <laughs> oh. oh that's not your knee, knee. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's pretty amazing so it sounds like you're trying to get people to find and feel things and and like just experience what they they expect in the gym and then from an adherence standpoint like bodybuilding has the most not i think inherently has the most novelty so you can kind of you can move them around and if they're getting results in new york city they're probably happy right oh they're thrilled and and a lot of them are people that get to me after they've had a couple other trainers like this guy in particular you know he's like you know i've had more progress with you than i had with my last guy i had my last guy for like six years and i've been with you for three months and i was like well, yeah, because we measure stuff and we do the same stuff over and over again. In you what know? way was he, like, in this particular fight, like, what, in what way was he progressing? He looked better. He felt better. He was stronger. You know, like, his, his numbers went up. 
his he like people he's like you know people are actually well at work are now like hey have you been working out or something um so that's the kind of feedback that you get from clients well that's super interesting to me because it's like that tells me that this shit does matter to a degree for hypertrophy is like because if you're just making everything like a systemic metabolic workout because you're just like fucking flopping around the gym and not actually using active tissues like we're probably not going to get hypertrophy so like that's in me and and like again we don't really have the so much of the research on the stuff that we're talking about but like it tells me that it does matter to a degree and that the result will probably be greater unless he changes his whole lifestyle like maybe he thinks you're really cute with your backwards hat and he really wants to look sexy for you i don't know notice that Uh, this is hat number two this is hat number two i didn't want to say anything i i you noticed that like i started like ear to ear grinning during your one of your monologues i'm like i fucking changed his hat (laughs) that's why you think you should want to get back on the call yeah Uh, so that's cool. I mean, it does tell me that. Yeah, I got Skype. Uh, I just wanted to make this time. Right? So I can change hats. <laughs> you like that everyone has to look at your hat at once. Yeah. There's nothing else to look at. Look at my hat. And then Ryan, Ryan, Ryan will just give this like quizzical hum and then the, it'll be a hmm. Yeah, then, like, he'll, t- he'll steal your screen. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> my hums are really, really audible. And uh, yeah, I, I do like to just pretend like I'm about to say something, but then not at all just enough to ruin your train of thought yeah yeah, it's, it's well placed, well placed. You know, but you actually helped me because you actually helped me like really specify my train my train of thought and it's something i've been talking about with with people recently is um is the mcdonald's cash register buttons so have you guys ben you've been to mcdonald's recently i'm sure yeah so, yeah you know <laughs> are you 1997 with with how the mcdonald's cash register it doesn't really have like numbers on the buttons. It's got pictures of the things on the buttons. I so argument if I say forever. I want a Big Mac, like there's a button that is a picture of the Big Mac. That's how they input it into the thing to, well, to I can't do that on all computers. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your, your keyboard would have like seven buttons, right? <laughs> but it's kind of like bench press. <laughs> 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 and I don't even want words. I just want pictures. White rice. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Biz. <laughs> More and less. <laughs> More bench press. Less Gobby Biz. <laughs> There's your diet. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> right, um, keep going with the McDonald's. The McDonald's gadgets. So the McDonald's, like, so if you're an employee at McDonald's, you don't need to do anything other than know that you hit that button when somebody tells you Big Mac. And, um, and, and it's kind of like, I, I've been trying to do that with the exercise selections that I've got. Like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to talk to these people too much about technique and coaching them. They don't like it. Like, it's just not, not something that they really want. And um, so it's kind of like, I've got, I've got like my, my like first tier choices for the total body exercises that we use. You know, it's like, I got my, my leg press, I've got uh, the transformer bar squat, I've got the RDL uh, in terms of my lower body top tier choices. Because a lot of these people, are they're slow, they're kind of annoying. It's like, let's go. If I'm doing single leg exercises with them, eh, we don't get as much done because it takes twice as long because there's two legs. And, um, you know, so it's kind of like I'm, I'm always trying to make sure we get as much volume in as possible. And if I'm training both legs at the same time, I tend to get more volume in. But then it's sort of like, is there a problem 
with one of those exercises where I need to like downshift and go with like my secondary choices. And, but like most of the time the, the primary choices work really well and people have no idea why it works really well. And I don't have to coach them very much because the transformer bar is going to pressurize you in a way that's going to shove your guts down into your pelvis. And you're going to go in an inhale pattern and your pelvis doesn't tuck under through some compensatory, you know, segmental flexion up, up the chain to accomplish being able to move yourself down in space. It just happens. And, and so people are like, wow, that squat felt really good almost across the board unless they get, you know, just some random person. And, and, but they don't have to know all the magic that kind of goes on behind the scenes in terms of why this exercise is so good. You know, it's like we got fucking air pressure. We got a transformer bar. We got this heel wedge. We got all these things that just end with the result of that was an awesome looking squat that didn't hurt tissues other than contractile tissues getting smoked. And I didn't have to overcoach it. And I just get to, to tell you to work hard and all that kind of stuff. Same thing with the leg press. Like, whoever built this thing, like, the shape of it just puts people's pelvis in the most perfect spot imaginable. And it's just like, you use this leg press, you use any other leg press, and you're like, man, I don't want to use another leg press. Like, this thing's just really, really nice. And uh, so it's, it's, it's just kind of like I, I have those as my, like, main choices and then if uh like somebody needs something weird on the menu like actually i want the uh fish filet i'm like you want to go to mcdonald's and eat fish all right bro like here we go like this is an odd choice but we're going with it but i have these sort of like secondary and tertiary options that you know all of a sudden it's like i'm not going to split squat you unless i have that back foot shoved up against a, a block behind you so that you can feel that back foot and it just, I don't, I don't even know why I'm, it's like a McDonald's cash register button in my head. I'm not even hundred percent sure why that back foot pressed up against a solid object works so well. Um, but it's just like a million times more muscular for a rep. Like, you know, we just added split squats back into the program for the group I trained with on Friday and my glutes are still sore and we only did two sets of 10 reps. Uh, and it's like, Oh my, I, like, I couldn't even believe it. Like I woke up, in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom Friday night. And I was like, what the fuck <laughs> happened to my glutes? Like it was, it was a pretty wild feeling. And then it was, it, it just like four days of soreness from two sets seems odd because we had built up to five sets of 10 on two foot squat in the same session as five sets of 10 deadlift and five sets of 10 leg press all jammed into the same thing. And so I was like, I don't know if anything can really get me sore at this point. Like, that's about as horrible as it can get. But no, the two foot, the, the two sets of split squats with the back foot on the box just ruined me for half a week. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. I think the, just, just hearing that, like a couple things really, really stuck out to me in that you're trying to coach as little as possible. And I think that's something that like when you start to, I remember like when I start first started training people when I was like fucking 19 years old, I wanted to tell people everything I learned. I was annoying as shit. I wanted, and, and like, they, they like would gloss over and I would steep, keep going. And like the, the majority, like I just ball through, like eventually you're going to care about this Turkish get up thing that you have, you just don't give a shit about. And so I think that's that like the things that you care about, your clients probably don't necessarily care about. 
So just find a way to like, from a relationship standpoint, like find a way to make it fun, find a way to make it like behaviorally, like give them fucking, give them, give them grown up Kool-Aid when they show in the gym, like how many fucking Q rewards can you set up in their life so that they just love coming to this place yep. and, and smashing weight and they're successful at it. And then, and then the other thing that what this, this kind of leads to another question I have for you. So when you look at the bilateral squat, it doesn't look like the glutes are the limiter. So they're in hip extension. It looks like the back. So that's kind of why I think we, we go forward. As you load it up, like your back extensors are the, essentially the limiter for hip extension. And so it makes sense to me. Like if we, if, if you put, if we put you on a single leg, all of a sudden your glutes are now going to be more of the limiter muscularly than, than they were. I don't know about the leg press, like I would, but I would guess, yeah, being in a single leg would make those glutes more, would just crush them. Yeah. You know, um, I think there's, there's definitely, it's, it's sort of like, uh, when I think about recruiting glutes, like glutes from a sagittal plane perspective are the terminal hip extensor. You know, like we're with most of the exercises that we're doing, it's, it's hip extension that we're creating. And it's like, are you extending from a position of being pretty far into hip flexion or are you extending from almost being in terminal hip extension? You know, and, and generally speaking, hamstrings are going to be the extensors from a significantly flexed place and glutes are going to take over more and more as we get towards end range hip extension. And let's face it, like people just are terrible when it comes to hip extension, like authentic hip extension. I put hundreds and hundreds of people on a table and fucking everybody's awful. So you're just not getting there most likely under almost any circumstance. But if I can strategically put you into a place where I'm probably going to eke out a little bit more authentic femoral extension, as opposed to being like moving the pelvis into more anterior tilt to finish the movement or, or whatever it is, you know, like, well, I guess well, you can't even load them. Like you can't even really load the movement effectively because unless you have accommodated resistance anyways, because that's, you're already on the way up. Or yeah. Or be pulling you backwards or something. I think that I'm just getting more authentic hip extension at the top of the movement when I use certain drills. And I'm not, I'm probably just not getting it as much when I'm in this bilateral stance. I think that, that creating the change of position and the orientation that I've got them in is, is giving me the ability to, to drive muscular hip extension at end range to a greater degree than I would with other drills. It's because you're, you're kind of like um, picking up some of the slack by putting your, your, your front hip into flexion. Does that make any sense? I think that the front foot being forward is going to encourage that side of the, of the pelvis to be held back. You know, like I'll have the innominate in more counter nutation and I need the innominate to remain relatively in counter nutation as the femur extends on it. You know what I mean? It's like, let's say this is my ischial tuberosity where the hamstring attaches to. Okay. Let's say I've got my femur out here and like when it moves this way, it's flexion. When it moves this way, it's extension. If I'm trying to go into hip extension and the pelvis keeps moving like that, I don't actually change anything in relation to actual femoral extension. I'm just extending through some other means. Yeah. If I'm able to 
keep my pelvis here and it doesn't flare forward. So it's, it's just being held there. And now the femur comes back on it. I'm actually creating real hip extension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that when we're squatting, we're probably finishing at the top and it's just sort of like, here's the femur coming back into extension, but it's sort of like the pelvis is going with it. And it's sort of like I, I come down into flexion and I go, and, and you know, that's... that's then, then you just need glute bridges, man. That, yeah. you, that, that's, the, that's the solution. You just need a glute bridge. If, if it puts you in that place where you're getting end range hip extension without, you know, just the pelvis and the femur moving at the same time like this, because that's just, I'm just trying to get a, across this point that like, that's not hip extension. Uh, you know, this is hip extension. I was being... No, I know you were kind of joking. I was being, I was being sarcastic, but I'm like, I think if someone could do a decent, like, I don't know if I've never, I haven't done a hip bridge in fucking years, but like, if someone could do a decent hip bridge, like that would be essentially training that thing. Yeah. If you can approximate the ischial tuberosity with the posterior femur, you're going to get glutes. That's just the name of the game. Uh, as that, as that femur approaches end range extension, it's just that fucking nobody does that. It's, it's just really hard to do. But if I can create it through the, the shape of the exercise that, can, that puts constraints on you where you have no other choice, you'll, you'll get glutes. We've, we've covered hip extension. We've covered squatting. We've covered, we've covered a lot. And, and uh, you mentioned the air. You mentioned the Kaisers um, having you know, this, this equipment. I'm, I'm probably headed to New York to check it out in November. And if, if, awesome. if, if this leg press is, you know, if it is so ungodly amazing, I might be uh, breaking the piggy bank and shipping some Kaiser shit down to the jungle. Um, and I'm really excited to it for it. But I don't think there's, there's things that you can do with this equipment that we just, we've never been able to do before. Um, and so you want to talk a little bit about how you're using that stuff, how you're using the air? Yeah, you know, I'd say number one, like what's, what's interesting about it is it's, it, it's just different than other forms of resistance. So you go through the same curve that you would go through with you, if you're changing something drastic in a program, you know what I mean? Like if, if you change exercises, I was sort of alluding to this the other day with an Instagram post, like variations of deload in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. uh, because you're learning, you have to learn it. You're not physiologically just firing at all cylinders right now in an unconscious manner. Like you're conscious and trying to figure out this novelty and all that sort of stuff. And, um, but, but after you train with it for a little while, it's, it's just full on physiology. And it's just like, it'll, it has its pros and cons just like any other form of resistance, although probably just less cons overall. Uh, but you, you know, I was originally thinking like, wow, you can just do whatever you want. And you never really like get sore or your joints don't hurt. And it's like, nah, just learn it and get efficient enough at training with it to where you're really unconscious and physiologically training and you'll get all the same kind of aches and pains as anything else. But, um, you know, what uh, the, the coolest stuff about it is like you can do these insane eccentrics where you can load it up at end range well beyond what you could push back out and just eat it, eat it, eat it, and then drop the weight mid rep and push it back out eventually. You can do the most ridiculous drop sets of all time. Um, you know, those are you can also accelerate the, the thing as fast as you want and you never create any momentum with it because you're not dealing with a gravitational based uh, resistance form. So, so I think those are the really big ones. And it's like, 
I don't want to sound as if I'm just sweeping these things under the rug really casually. Like these are big deal concepts. They're really big deal concepts. Like if you're going to overload the eccentric, what, what choices do you have? Like you kind of have like weight releasers maybe. Which are, you got to have two guys on the side, put them yeah. back up there. It's fucking terrible. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is like super fast. Like you can do it every single rep over and over and over again. Um, you know, the, the racks are a little bit slower in that regard. But, like, the leg press is instantaneous with the way that it changes the weight. The, all the all the single-use machines are, are so fast with how quickly they change the weight. It's unbelievable. You know, if you're, a, like, a trainer at a gym or something like that and you load weights on and off of things all day, this is, like, God's gift to you because, like, I don't have to – like, just think about how shitty it is with the leg press where you're like, okay, i got to get, like, 20 – 45 pound plates and like put them on this thing and i gotta take them off at the end it's like i'm just gonna push this button and uh if i'm ethan and the 1200 pounds that it offers is not enough i'll wrap a band around the whole thing but like let's forget that he exists for a minute yeah, and for the rest of us it's just like the button is just fine but yeah it's 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 very cool from that standpoint and also the fact that it displays your power for especially for training general population where Let's face it, like, effort is probably the biggest thing that you're consistently trying to, like, nudge out of them. You're like, hey, that last rep was this fucking imaginary score to you of 58. Do you think you can do better than this? And they're like, hmm, let me see. And they're like, oh, yeah, there we go. That was 75. And you're like, that was pretty good. Do you think you could do better? And then they, they get smoked by this set, and they're still operating at, like, you know, twelve percent of their potential. <laughs> it's like they it's like the boxing there. machine at the. It's like the boxing thing at the. Every exercise is essentially that. It is. It really is. Like, and it has a problem if you're actually like fit and insane. Like every everybody that works there. Like today, for instance, like Luke was doing this like chop with the functional trainer, and he's like, "Hey, what was your score last time?" And I was like, "2109." He's like, "That's the highest score," and I was like, "You goddamn right it was." And he's like, "Oh, I just beat it." It's like whatever, and I was like, "Oh, that's because you're using more weight than what I was using last time. You got to put it on the same weight." And then like it just turns into this nightmare because somebody beat my score, and then I'm like, "I will literally kill myself." to make the number higher than yours. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what's, what kind of downside there is. I will not stop fucking chopping on this thing until <laughs> I beat you by one PSI, whatever the one one watt. And, uh, and then, like, I'm, I walk away and I'm like, oh, my neck and my shoulder. <laughs> Fuck, why did I do that? I think that every time somebody beats you on the Kaiser chop, they should be able to do the power hour. And you had to tape it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you already see it happening. Like you, you get a, you get enough of us doing the same thing, and we're gonna get so ultra competitive. Like oh. Rua, Rua had like the the thing where you're doing like that, and he's <laughs> immediately, immediately he saw you guys do that. He's like, oh, I'm gonna do a fucking do it. Yep. And he was obviously he he could produce a lot of wattage because he you know he's a fighter. Dude, so there's no way that was the most pitiful looking punch I've ever. <laughs> Like that thing looked like it was like a, a 1200 watt one on ours. He had it on a different arm setting. I saw some other dude from another gym sent me a story of him doing it too. And it also looked like it just didn't like 
you know, I so setting I standards to, is going to be important. Yeah, it really is. Like if I lose to Vinny and it looks like a really violent, terrifying motion, which it usually does, I'm like, okay, I can live with that. Like that. That was Vinny seems to be like the only person. Vinny and Ethan. If Vinny and Ethan beat you, you're like, all right. If anyone else beats you, well, if I see somebody and it's like the whole machine like shakes and it looks like it got pulled up out of a bolt, I'm like, well, goddamn. But that thing was like, yeah. So no, like, there's no way uh, we're gonna have to go on the same one at the same time, and he's gonna have to just be humiliated, like most people when they interact with me, which I know is similar to one of the other questions that you had here. Which is kind of leads into the next, <laughs> the next question of like, when is this 30-30 concept going to be available for, uh, for people to experience? I don't I think that's the question you're referring to. That's the whole question. Yeah. No, 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 I, I definitely, I definitely <laughs> thought, we'll get there. That's so nice. You know, we're, we're working with the software company right now and, um, and it's like, we've had nothing but good news on this so far. Like they're, they're currently like streaming the information from, from the leg press. They're, they're just building, they're building one scoring computer system off of one machine right now. If it works, they can easily extrapolate that out to all the other ones and we can sum them all together. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like projections are sort of like assholes in a lot of ways. They all stink. And, uh, you know, nobody really wants to look too closely at them. So it's, it's like, I don't know exactly when this thing's going to be done. Like the leg press one could be done, they said, as, as soon as a couple of weeks. But, you know, for the, for the full one, you know, I, I think a conservative estimate is, is maybe like uh, October. Um, we could have a scoreboard as early as October. That's going uh, to be terrible, but amazing. Yeah. Um, so, but it's, it's been really cool because it's sort of like, what can 3030 as an entity be? And, and you know, it, I think the possibilities are literally just endless because what's super cool about some of the news that we got from the software company was that they were like, you know, with what we're building for you guys, essentially we think that we could turn anything that you could lift that has a measurement associated with it in terms of information about the load and the velocity it's moved. We could build a scoreboard for anything. It doesn't have to just be Kaiser. Like, uh, so it's sort of like, that's incredible news because. Yeah, you have those med balls now. Like you have those med balls yeah. that the register wattage, like you can. a piece of junk. We've got one. You know, you know what, like, I, I feel like it's sort of like. You Broke get, it. <laughs> it really is like you throw the thing. First of all, the ball comes and it tells you don't throw it at the wall too hard because it could break. <laughs> it literally has this. Like, 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 now I'm just going to try to kill you immediately. Like I'm going to try to break you on the first throw. Uh, Stupid $800 ball. But then it's like, you know, I didn't pay for it. Uh, so it's, But I broke it. <laughs> well, nobody knows because it's so annoying to use. Like you have to like, hook up your phone to it and then like it takes a minute for the information to go to the phone and it's like in meters per second I'm like I don't really know how fast that is why couldn't it just be miles per hour that I understand kind of conceptually and uh but it's like you have to stop for five seconds between every throw it like versus what we're doing it's sort of like it's just operating in the background you're doing your normal workout you program as you always would you choose whatever exercises you would and then by the way, it's just being scored over there for you. 
and you know it's going to make it really easy for you to track your data over time um, you know it's 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 but what I really like about this is you know I don't really particularly want to deal with like running a group class business in Manhattan or I'm, anywhere yeah or, or anywhere yeah I don't want to deal with that population like I don't want to deal with like you know 26 year old uh, females that frequent Barry's boot camp and and deal with like hordes of them. It just sounds like the worst thing in the world. And hear about like where they're going for Bloody Marys after, and I don't even know what else they talk about. Like I have, I don't. I can just know. see, I can just see your face, dude. I can just, <laughs> so upset. <laughs> just like Blake, just like Blake, what just, is, what just is like happened in this place. <laughs> it's, it's it, it sounds like like. Just talking to you guys and Ethan kind of since the beginning of, of this concept and it really is uh did Ryan just completely steal the screen? I must you guys, you guys wow, wow, yeah, you just, just completely well, hijacked it. I, 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 didn't know, touch I don't know, it's it's fine. Should I suppose scoreboard? I only see you guys. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so the this idea seems a lot like Orange Theory, but not bullshit. Yeah, and, and it's, but I think it's even better where, like, anybody that wants to – first of all, if you've got Kaiser, pretty soon right away you'll be able to score it. All right, so – and we can just sell you, like, here's the thing. You pay for it initially, and then you pay monthly to be able to subscribe to the cloud service that we'll provide. Better you know, yeah, it's kind of like I don't. It's like only. So it's it's another monthly, a month, uh, another monthly subscription. Yeah, you're looking for more, right? <laughs> I wanted more monthly subscription. Twenty nine ninety nine. But it's uh yeah like I don't like run your business however you want to run your business teach classes or if you own a gym like now you just have this option of oh by the way all your shit can be scored for you and you don't even have to display it you could literally just collect it save it send it to your people. Uh, or teams, you know what I mean? Like if teams want to have an easy metric, like it's so obvious, like, you know, we have pitch counts for the guys that are actually playing in the game. Uh, we are tracking GPS on uh, how much running they're doing, but nobody's really paying that much attention to how much weight room these guys are getting. Um, and this is just an easy way that accounts for load, velocity, range of motion, all in one, so that you can have at least a pitch count for the weight room. And, and have an idea about managing that. And, and it's just easy, like it'll, we'll make it ultimately so that it can just send the information right to people's phones. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just tracking, it's, it's measuring stuff for people in an easy way that's a single measurement. If we wanna make it more complicated, we can do that pretty easily. But, but overall, it's kind of like, it's, it's just a service that we could provide for people to add to their their concepts that are already in existence that would probably just make whatever concept is already running better that's cool man uh, I'm, I'm excited to try it out in november maybe we can maybe ryan can can come up yeah as well. like, yeah for sure i do think that ultimately like the the kaiser equipment choices that we made and intelligent programming that we can provide for people and a scoreboard is kind of the cadillac version of it though like if you want to pimp the thing out and just make it as as bad fast as you possibly can, I think that we're coming up with the recipe, and we're just going to keep training with it as like savages. So we'll just kind of continue to vet it and figure out what we like, and then be able to just give people good solid recommendations. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'd rather I'd rather run a parking garage 
than deal with, you know, running like children's birthday services, like nice and quiet behind the scenes. And I don't have to deal with the circus of, of entertainment, group fitness in major metropolitan regions of, you know, just the, just people I don't want to deal with. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's why a lot of people get burnt out in this field is, is like they open, they open gyms and they don't realize like, dude, this is a business. Um, the things that you care about, other people probably aren't going to care about and, and they get, they get burnt out. And so like, this is possibly a way for you to, you know, you have those people that do care that you have your, your one-on-one -on -one clients. And like, this is just another service that you can provide that is going to give people results and they're going to have fun and it's going to meet their expectations. Yeah. I don't need to make $20 billion either. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, I'd like to be able to have enough money to pick and choose how much I want to work in terms of one-on-one -on -one stuff, have more time to be able to read and write and, um, and be able to train and then get outside and play quite honestly. Yeah. You know, hey. so I know what my priorities are. I know what I want and um, I know what I don't want. I see some of these super rich guys that have been consumed by their businesses and it's sort of like I, I want to avoid getting sucked into like the next 30 years of my life being like, you know, nonstop associated with, with doing that. It's, it just looks like a, a different version of hell. Yeah. So if, if people, if people want to like get, uh, get a hold of, get a hold of you or, or find out more about what you're doing, where, where would they go? Would they, would they contact Ethan? Yeah, totally. Like yeah. he's really easy to find. Uh, he's all over the gram. Uh, you know, he tweets more than Donald Trump. So yeah, he's the, he's the guy. I honestly, I think the easiest way for, to get in touch with me is probably just Instagram. Like people are like, is it more professional to send you an email? I'm like, I don't care. It's all literally just going to my phone. Um, it doesn't make it. So slide, slide into your DMS, slide right into my DMS, baby. With or just post like comment on a post or like, what? I don't even care. Like I could care less. It means nothing to me what the exact like method is that you get in touch with me. Send your your videos of your squat and ask Pat uh, how you could Immediately, do more yeah. squatty. Yeah, that's what he wants to see. There we go. Yeah, I definitely want. Yeah, everyone, wanna... listen. If you're still listening to this podcast, Pat, Pat has agreed to personally look at all your videos. Coach, yep. baby. <laughs> not even exercises, dude. You just have. No, just just give him videos like. How Terminal hip extension. Are you getting it? Is this the right hat for this outfit? Look, man, I, I, definitely, <laughs> I definitely appreciate quality trolling. So <laughs> if people want to troll me in a, in a sophisticated you're, you're gonna You're going to need a five-year-old propeller hat. You'll <laughs> gain my respect to a very high level. Like, I would much rather have trolling than, like, sycophantic uh, bullshit. Like... No doubt. Oh my God, Pat, look at this squat. It's so good. I'm so happy about it. <laughs> Live your truth. Uh, so, so this kind of gets to the, gets to our last question that I'm really excited that we're going to get to. I've, 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 I've seen myself for like 33 minutes so I can put on another hat. Yeah. Yeah. We got, we got, we got this, this, this question goes 33 minutes. We're in trouble. Uh, so I, I've, I've, I've met a lot of, of your mentees and you have a, a personality that that people in the strength field tend to gravitate towards um, as a mentor, and and you're not cuddly. 
Like you're, right. you're not. And so you want to talk a little bit about how the key to being an asshole to other people and then having them yeah. like you more for that. Yeah. So it's really interesting, like, because I'll, I'll do that with certain people, even, even at hype, you know, like we have people that will join the training group and, and like, uh, there's, there's other, like there's female trainers there, there's females that work out in our group. And I know it was funny. I was doing this to one guy. Like I, cause it's, I don't do it to everybody. You know, I'm pretty selective about who it is that I'm going to use this method with. And, um, I don't, ha I don't know how to explain that. I, it's like, I can just smell them. I can smell which people like need that versus who doesn't need it. And so I start going in on this guy and I see this, this one girl that's part of our group. She's just looking like, like flabbergasted and terrified. And like, she has no idea what's going on. And she comes up to me after and she's like, I, I just, she starts, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I already know what you're going to say, but um, trust me when I say I know what I'm doing here. Like I've been doing this for a long time and it's come in many different names, shapes, and forms, but this recipe will work for this person. And it's funny because we actually just talked about it yesterday and she was like, you know, I have literally witnessed what you've done to this particular person and I've sort of seen the way that you've segued and transitioned and got them to become part of the group and now that they're part of the group this person is like kind of changed to become more confident and comfortable and uh, so it's it's interesting like you know I think that in large part like I got that kind of coaching when I was a kid from from certain coaches that I got and or I witnessed the way that they did it with other guys you know, the guy that I had as a coach for mixed martial arts, he was like this master of reverse psychology. Uh, and he would do it to me. He would drive me out of my mind. He would do it different to me. If he would see me like on the mat struggling, you know, you're getting fatigued, you're getting beat, you can kind of get dejected. He would all of a sudden start going, it's okay, Pat, you can quit. You can be just like everybody else. Nobody's going to think any less of you. It's fine. Just give up. It's not a big deal. And this would send me into a rage, like literally a rage. And like, I would scramble, get out of there. I'd start working really hard and uh, I'd finish and I'd be like, you son of a bitch. He's like, it worked, right? Like, and I was like, yeah, it really did. And, uh, but I'd see him, him really get in there on other people. And, and what it typically would do is it would make everybody else in the group rally around, around that person. And it would make him kind of this temporary bad guy that everybody could rally against. Like you need some common thing that everybody agrees is sort of like, we're going to work for or against this thing. And, uh, and it's really easy for me to set myself up kind of as like the person that this person's going to prove wrong or to rally against. It's, it's, it's like, uh, so I, I think that that's, that's a big reason why I do it. Like, and, and the other thing is, is partially that I do think that the nature generally works with kind of like an alpha and a beta. And, and you know, I've seen it with like my family was, was always raising animals, we raised dogs, I'd see it in the puppies right away from like the time that they're like a week old, two weeks old. You'd see them like stratify and create a hierarchy. And, and I think humans do the same thing. And, um, and in the modern world, we've kind of, it's, it's, it's cloudy, you know, because you have a lot of people that probably have more beta personalities that are, you, you know, they're being highly successful and they're being put into leadership roles 
in some way, shape or form within like industry or the workforce or things of that nature. Um, but they probably aren't wired to necessarily be accustomed to being in that space or, and, and, but anyways, they end up in the, in the fitness world or they end up in performance related sports. And, and in some ways I feel like they're more comfortable when they're put into some, some role where they're kind of being, it's almost like you let a beta type of personality experience being in that situation for role clarity. And once they feel like they're actually more comfortable in that place, now they're able to start to merge and become more part of the group. Again, I'm trying to create a group and to have a group feel, a group identity, to have people come together. And, and I think that that two part of it really works. And I don't, I don't keep people there forever. You know what I mean? It's just in the beginning that that's typically my strategy with certain people. It's funny because Ethan's literally watched me do this now for about 10 years. And, uh, and he can predict it before it even happens. You know what I mean? He's like, ah, this guy's going to get that treatment. And then he watches it happen and they sort of find their way into the group in, the, in a place that they feel comfortable. And now that they're part of the group, they start to give me shit back. And that's when I know that we've gotten to a really good place because they feel comfortable. And it's, it's like, oddly enough, it's, that's, that is the plan with it. So he, he put on his rally cap and uh, we're really, really thankful for having you on, Pat. It's been amazing. Uh, the, the RDL and the squat talk, I think, a lot, I think people are going to get a lot out of those, out of those two conversations. And uh, you're, you're currently doing a, a tour around the U.S., maybe even the world, um, talking about this stuff in a, in a, in a, in a fun way. And, uh, and so you want to you let people know what you're doing and what you're up to? Yeah, for sure. So it's uh, the Big Patterns 2 seminar tour that's going on right now. Uh, I've got some coming up. Uh, the next one's going to be Austin, Texas, September 14th and 15th. Following weekend is going to be Montreal, Canada, the 21st and 22nd. Then it's going to be Queens, New York, October 5th and 6th. Then I've got, I believe it's like the last weekend of October, going to be in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, following that, at some point in November, I'll be in San Francisco doing one. And recently talked to a uh, Joel Proskowitz in London, and I'm going to do one with him in April. And the, the other big, you know, I, we, we just finished filming the exercise database for Rethinking the Big Patterns this past weekend. It's, you know, going to be edited, but it's probably going to be at least like 12 to 14 hours of nothing but exercises and coaching of those exercises. It's the entire playbook of Rethinking the Big Patterns from an exercise standpoint. So that that's really that's really important because if you go to the seminar, you you really do need to watch these things like twelve times. Yeah, pick, pick up the cue. No shot, no mm -hmm. shot. Uh, you get a few, you get, but there's no way I can't do it in two days. It took us over twenty four hours of filming time to film everything. Uh, and and really, the last thing that I'm most excited about is I'm writing the book for it right now, and it's not even halfway done. It's already about eighty thousand words. It'll be, uh, I think we're going to sell that through Renaissance Periodization when it's all said and done. And you'll be able to kind of get like the book and the videos as a package deal at some point. The videos will be out first. But yeah, so right now it's the seminars, the book, the videos that'll be available. And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of consuming a big chunk of my life right now. But it's great.